Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. This is episode eight, our mid-month episode for January 2016, and we're picking up where we left off in the interview with Reverend Sarah Heath. As you may recall, Sarah is the teaching and preaching site pastor at Shepherd of the Hills United Methodist Church in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the first part of the interview from episode seven, I encourage you to download that and listen to it first. But today we pick up with the set of questions I like to ask all of our guests. So let's jump back in. Well, we'll go ahead and, and we'll move into a couple general questions that I like to ask um, the folks that join us on the program. The first is kind of you get the choice. Uh, what is one of the more difficult sermons uh, that you've had to prepare or preach and why? Or uh, on the flip side, do you have any favorite experiences from preaching, teaching, or communicating that you just keep going back to? Sure. Uh, okay. One of the most difficult um, sermons I ever had to give was um, I had gone through a personal um, just difficult, difficult time. Um, there had been a huge disappointment in my life, and I had just started at my new church. I had a new job. Uh, life was headed in a certain path that I didn't take, and I was devastated. And I had to... Uh, the, the sermon was really about, like, kind of how God loves us and God is for us. Mm, mm-hmm. And I did not, I did not believe that God loved me, nor did I believe God was for me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I wept all the way from my, and I'm not a crier. Um, I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Holiday, but that's kind of me yeah. when it yeah. comes to crying. Like I, <laughs> I want to cry, and I think crying is so healthy, and I love it in other people, but like. Something in me. I'm British. I think something yeah, happened. Just can't do it. My mom's British. My dad's Canadian. There's just something genetically wrong with me. I'm not a child. Yeah. So, but I cried all the way from my home to the church. Mm. And my best friend is a is a boy, and uh, he's he's just one of these just pragmatic, practical, amazing people. And um, he's kind of like my best friend, a lot like Will Ferrell, if you can imagine. Okay. Um, so, like personality, he's just he's an amazing human, and so. I, um, my best guy friend, and so I called him from, from the parking lot of a Walgreens. Now you have to understand, I'm like two months into my new appointment, and I call him from the parking lot of a Walgreens, which is across the street from my church, because I have cried so much, I no longer have on eye makeup. <laughs> yeah. And I need, I need to not look like a hot mess in the pulpit. Right. Two months into my, but I am so devastated in my personal life, mm-hmm. and I have to get up in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to John, and I literally don't know how I'm going to walk through that door. And he says this to me, and it stuck with me. He said, Sarah, you could get up in that pulpit, and you could preach a good sermon. You could get up in that pulpit and just weep. And guess what? Whatever is going to happen is what God needs you to do. So get out of your car and get in there. And I thought, huh. That's awesome. I... The freedom, now I didn't get in the pulpit and weep. Um, I have no idea what I said, but apparently it went well. Right, yeah. I allowed the Holy Spirit, and then he said, then you get in your car, and you drive home, and you can weep with me. Mm. He said, but you need to just for this amount of time really say this is not about me. It's about what God needs me to bring into this space. Mm. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, because I had to stand up and look at these people, and I felt like such a liar, because in that moment, I honestly believe God was for them, but God was not for me. Yeah. And 
sometimes that's the work, right? The liturgy of the people, the work of the people is for me to remind myself, because I'm a forgetful person just like anyone else, that God actually is for me. And so to give that sermon and not believe it completely in that moment um, was definitely a difficult time. I think one of my favorite times is actually doing the relevance um, X thing. Um, I was nervous about giving that talk. I had just um, experienced having a mentor of mine uh, speak those words over me as like, stop making excuses for who you're not and start telling people who you are. And so I didn't, again, want it to be about me, but I over and over again heard the the sensation and the feeling that for whatever reason, I need to share the importance of being yourself. And I, I don't know if you remember, but the lights were so we couldn't really see people out in the audience. Right. When I finished, I got off the stage to ask questions and we got off the stage and these, these people were crying Mm. and they, I don't know if you remember, they allowed people to come and ask us questions. Right, yeah, yeah, right. we broke up into small groups, yeah. Right. Mine was right before lunch, so I thought I was going to be, like, sitting alone, embarrassed, and nobody <laughs> wanted to come talk to me. <laughs> right, right. There's a line. And I know that that had nothing to do with me. And more about surrendering the outcome was that was my first experience of being misquoted. Mm. Um, I had given a talk. I had answered questions. And on one of our denominational websites, Somebody wrote an article, and they were, they were trying to be helpful, but they made me sound like a flippant, spoiled, tattooed, nose-ring person saying, if the church doesn't want me, I don't want them, uh, kind of attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was not my message at all. And um, I felt really dishonored in that and felt like, if my bishop reads this, I'm going to sound like an ingrateful <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, yeah. young clergy who thinks she knows it all. Right. And that was, that was actually kind of the opposite of the, of the conversation. And I, it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, are you going to, are you going to walk the walk and talk the talk and go, all right, that's what happened with that. That's how they heard it. But those 20, whatever people that heard it and it was different for them, that's who it was for. It wasn't for the bishop who, or whoever, who might read that and think I'm saying, forget the church. Cause that wasn't the point. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think those are my two most difficult. And also, uh, I know that that moment when I walked through the door, I made a choice. Um, when I stepped into the pulpit, I made a choice to say, this isn't about me today. Mm. And, um, I think also, uh, the joy of being able to free people, um, was really important for me as well at Relevance. Um, and have people's feedback. And it's so funny because that video will pop up. I have friends who are in no way United Methodist. I was at a conference in Laguna Beach, and I was at a coffee shop, and I didn't realize I have a unique voice, but apparently I do. And this woman turned around and said, you're the girl from the video. Oh, my goodness. That's cool. And I said, what? (laughs) And she said, your voice. You did this video called I'm a Pastor, and I shared it with all my friends. And that thing is not viral in any way, shape or form. I am not Brene Brown. Yeah. And it was one of those experiences where I go, Oh, you're who I did that for. That's so cool. Okay. 
Well, and I'll, I'll remind our yeah. listeners that you can you can watch that talk on her website, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And I didn't share earlier that I was speaking at the same conference, and I actually went right after Sarah. And so, literally, I'm standing in the wings watching. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. But I, I'm standing in the wings watching you do this amazing amazing thing and i'm already nervous enough uh and then as you continue to kill it and kill it and kill it i'm getting more nervous um and then we have this like weird exchange of the microphone because it was one of those conferences that was small enough where we're all sharing microphones you like hand it off to me or whatever so when listeners as you watch this video and watch her just do this amazing thing have some sympathy for how i felt in the wings having to follow that up that was uh, it was awesome. Oh, and I think there's also that like awkward conversation that nobody ever really wants to talk about with um, me as a female speaking at conferences and stuff. Usually, not always, but quite often, the lead sound people are guys. Mm-hmm. And I am notorious for wearing outfits that are awkward to put mics on. Okay. And if yeah. you could get video of them going like, I don't know where to put this. And me, <laughs> like, I don't. So I chose an outfit for relevancy, but I could put the mic on the back. But still to this day, this is how you know I'm a, I'm a, a girl. I look at the video, I'm like, oh, I look chubby. What was I wearing? And I'm like, what? That has nothing, again, yeah. that has nothing to do with anything. And um, it was one of those moments where I felt awkward, too, with the mic. And like, what do I do? And, and I don't think I realized, really, that people would be asking questions. Right. And um, I remember they asked us questions about, like, so, again, um, one of the questions people had is, like, what if they appointed you in a place where who you are doesn't work. And mm. in a room where there were like, I think there were about three bishops. Yeah. And I know there were at least two uh, district superintendents for non-Methodist people listening right now. Um, Google it. So like basically everybody that gets to control your career. Yeah. Yeah. They get to decide where we go. And so um, I had to, I, I'm in that moment and I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. And so I said, you know what? Um, I'm ordained in the United Methodist Church, and I'm so grateful and thankful for that, but I hold my ordination in my hand loosely um, because I think I most need to be faithful to God's call in my life. And if I'm in a place where I don't feel like I'm fulfilling or living into that, then I cannot remain there. Mm. And then I was like, I'm going to be moved to the desert. <laughs> like, why did I just say that? But at the same time, I mean, that is what I honestly believe, and I think that's part of um, the art of creating and crafting is being authentic to who you really are and, uh, and trusting that, you know, if it just like any other job, if, if that's not working for a community or area, then neither one of you are, are going to be progressing and moving, um, in the kingdom of God, the way that God would have it. So I, I definitely feel okay about that answer, but I just thought I had that moment where, did you just say that you hold your, <laughs> United Methodist ordination, which, by the way, if you're not United Methodist, it's a lot of work. It is a long process. To get yeah. ordained in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So I I was very much afraid of that, but then at the same time, I knew that I needed to be honest with the people in the room for the, for the kids that were thinking about getting ordained, and then they're like, but what if, you know, but that doesn't work for me. Okay, there are, you know, other options or to understand yourself as like, yeah, but God's call comes first. So. Yeah, and I think our our denomination, probably lots of, at the very least, mainline denominations, if not even some non-denominational and newer church plants and church networks, there's such this, there's such a change going on right now um, in 
how the Spirit is moving in churches and how different churches are expressing it. And especially in our denomination, there are a lot of local churches especially that are going through at, at least a pruning process, if not the process of, of dying and, and being reborn somehow, um, you know, right. whether they're, whether they're turned into multi-site or, or, you know, everything is closed and sold and then provided for missions or, or church planting that, that that's a very real fear and real question. You said that day, it's not a fear that goes away after you're ordained. You and I are both ordained. And I think we still, that's, that's top of mind every, every, uh, you know, November and December when you start to have conversations with, with your DS, uh, or, or, or try not to answer the phone <laughs> when the DS calls. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if and it's, a, it's it, a tough thing, it's a tough thing. And if, and if you can't stand up there on the stage and be honest with them, you know, who are they, who are they going to listen to? They don't have any, who are they going to turn to? So, well, I think it was just one of those moments where, again, you surrender the outcome and go, okay, you yeah. know, and, and I am ordained to an itinerant um, system. And so I have to trust that process. I know that process has been harmful and hurtful to some. And I also know that for me, um, there have been moments where the process knew better than I did. Mm-hmm. But I'm always listening to the Holy Spirit first. You know, if there comes a day where I have to turn in my orders, which is how when our ordination is called, if I have to turn those in, um, it will be because I don't believe that is where God is calling me. But I will have uh, taken the time and the practice of asking those who know me best and being in conversation with God about it. And so I think. You know, it's the same thing with ordination. Um, When I went through the ordination process, I walked through it, and um, I wasn't flippant by any means, but I knew that if this door was closed, that was okay. Mm -hmm. That was okay. And um, I had friends who were going through the process with me who were, I mean, nervous wrecks. It was a lot about, if I'm not a pastor, then I don't know who I am. Oh, gosh, yeah. And for me, it was like, this doesn't make you a pastor. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it affirms, continues the call, but the call, even if tomorrow I say, I'm just done with this whole church structure thing, I cannot run away from the call of, but you will proclaim my word because that's who you are and how I created you. And whether you're doing that through um, physical art or you're doing that through um, writing or you're doing that in the coffee, weird coffee conversations that you have that doesn't change my identity. And I think people sense that. I remember I came out of uh, one of my interview rooms for ordination and everyone was, we were all laughing. Um, And I ran into another um, candidate who was headed in and she said, how can you be so light about this? And I said, I think they sensed when I was in the room that I just want to know if this is a good fit. Not just from them to, am I a good fit for them? Mm. But are they a good fit for me? Yeah. And that's okay. And, um, I mean, there is the whole financial, you know, I'm going to starve conversation, but <laughs> right, right. I, I know that there's so many, you know, the, the idea of full-time ministry, it, it may not last, mm. you know, um, it, as we as churches are going through these transition, um, you know, bivocational is more and more a reality. So, I would rather be working and honing my skills for who I am to be the best version of me and out in the world find something that fits that 
Yeah, you exactly. Know, then all I can do is this within the walls of the church. Yeah. In our, our ordination process, we interact with uh, people in, in what's called a RIM class, residence and ministry, at least down here in, in uh, Florida. And I found the people that that got held up or continued in the process and this is an anecdotal, but in my in my view, the people that were held up the most were the people that were were asking the most. Well, what am I supposed to say to get through? Or how do you want me to answer this question? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the red flag. There is a set of vocabulary that we as United Methodists, you know, should be using, and and there are a couple check boxes along the way that that they want to hear you be able to say. Um, but if your concern is is how do I say exactly what it takes to get through this step, you're you're much more likely to create a mismatch on both directions uh, that you spoke of. Are we right for you, and are you right for us? I mean, it's like going on a date and being like, I have decided that tonight I am a huge whatever fan, yeah, yeah. and because they seem like they are, and yeah. then you know it's, that's never going to work, and it's not life affirming. And unfortunately, our call system and how things have been have really for some people built up that need to be all things to all people. And mm-hmm. that's just the, the reality is um, we can, when people ask me, do I have some weaknesses? I can laugh and look at you and say, heck yes, I do. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's an interesting system and an interesting thing that we're existing in. But the one thing I know is that the Holy Spirit will not go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so no matter what happens to the church, the church will still exist. It just may not look like it has looked before, but guess what? It's, it keeps changing, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary for some, um, and scary for me. You know, I, I I like the idea of retirement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I also know that there's opportunity where there's where there's fear, yeah. and there's opportunity for us as artists and um, people who you know we forget the gift that we have. You know, I forget <laughs> that what you and I do is the world's number one fear. Yeah, exactly. The, the idea, I come alive when I'm in front of people speaking. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that's about other than that's what I was created to do. Yeah. You know, I hear, I, I go to, I've gone to stand-up comedy in L.A. quite a bit. You just think, that is awesome. They just get up there, and they know that half the time it's not going to work. And they still do it. And that's kind of what we're doing as pastors. Like half the time we know, you know, people only retain 5% of what they hear. Mm. Only 5%. Wow. That's a new statistic that they just did with uh, college students. But what they participate <laughs> in and what they, you know, that's why humor and that kind of stuff works so well is because you participate in it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, who have been some of the more impactful preachers and or communicators in your life? Who are some of the voices that you've cobbled together into your own voice and, and made your own? Um, so Paula Poundstone, (laughs) (laughs) I loved her ability to communicate. Um, I think Ellen gave me a real sense of being free. Um, I don't, you know, my, my friends joke with me always is like, your mic's on Sarah. Um, and I, I love that about Ellen that she just kind of says her aside notes and that's definitely, um, a part of me. And is it sometimes I forget my mic's on? Yeah. Um, and so definitely Paula Townsend and Ellen. Um, as far as preachers, I, uh, Rob Bell, um, excellent communicator. I love his creativity and his craft as an artist. And um, there have been times when he'll say something and I'll go, wait, I said that. Or, But, I mean, I, I think I've been influenced by him 
before I even knew I was. Um, yeah. And so I really enjoyed hearing him and hearing him speak. Um, uh, M.T. Wright, I really enjoy um, his speaking and uh, kind of who he is and what he says. And then, um, you know, as I think through it, there have just been so many different um, creatives speaking. I think I love Oprah, believe it or not. I don't love, I don't watch Oprah, but I, yeah. <laughs> I love how she gets people to tell their story. And I've been influenced by that. Yeah. I really enjoyed the writing of uh, Anne Lamott and Donald Miller because I feel like there's such freedom in that. So I've enjoyed them. And I think I, whether or not I know it, you weave it, you steal like an artist. Um, right. You know, even in the sentence of like who you are is interesting, who you are not is not interesting. That was actually something that Rob Bell said to me at a conference. And I was like, huh. And I sat with that for six months. It's one sentence. And I sat with it for like six months going, huh. And I think uh, people like Erwin McManus, I don't know if you've ever heard him speak, but I really enjoyed hearing him speak. Um, and what's interesting to me is that when you ask the question of who has influenced your preaching, I haven't been able to, until recently, name women. And so mm. I think that's an exciting place for me to be in, um, is realizing that, oh, who I am is interesting. I'm a woman who does this. Um, and so maybe I'll be able to inspire and encourage um, someone who never thought this was something that they could move toward. So, um, yeah, there's lots of people, though, that I enjoy um, listening to. I like listening to... Um, Oh my gosh, uh, Lake Wilbegon. Oh yeah, Garrison Keillor. Yeah, Garrison Keillor. I really enjoy him a lot. And I think also actors and actresses who are um, capable of creating feeling and heart um, inspire me because I think that's what we're all trying to do and trying to get to is um, allowing people to have an experience that allows them to encounter the divine and walk away different. Um, and then my friend, uh, Mike McCurk, science Mike, I love his honesty and I love his uh, ability to communicate. And so I enjoy listening to him um, and what he has to say. And so, yeah, those are people who inspire me all the time. And I try to listen to what they do. I'm, I don't listen to podcasts until recently. And I'm finding that they're so inspirational and helpful. There's something about that amount of time. You know, not many of us have uh, tons of time, but we do have that time to walk and, or uh, run or whatever. We have that time to listen. Or for me, I have a little bit of a commute sometimes, and that's helpful to have those voices that I can listen to. Yeah. Um, and I'll listen to a Brene Brown book. I'll listen to a Donald Miller book. And I find them really helpful um, in the craft of writing and speaking. Like I enjoy uh, hearing Francis Chan communicate. I don't always agree with his message, but I think he does a great job of giving what he's giving. And so you can even be inspired by people who don't agree with uh, what you think. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's an interesting, like, oh, I really like how you how you do that. Well, are there any uh, books that have been influential on your preaching or communicating? You know, of course, the the ones that I mentioned earlier, but I think, or like the, the speakers that I mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed, like N.C. Wright's um, commentaries yeah. are really helpful. Um I love the new interpreters um, commentary. Yeah. Uh, I find that really helpful as well. I read uh, quite a bit of curriculum, believe it or not, because I teach Bible studies. And um, I have found Animate. There's Animate Faith 
Animate Bible, and there's one other one. Um, and that has been actually really helpful in because it's different people presenting different parts and presenting it in their voice. And um, I've really enjoyed that. And I think that's been um, helpful in, you know, creating my own stuff and um, reading from that. And then I'm trying to think, like, a Donald Miller, for sure, uh, is really helpful for me. Um, and not just, like, his early stuff, like, not Blue Lake Dust necessarily, but I don't know, there's a book called Scary Close. And then his curriculum he did for Storyline, again, was really helpful for me in creating different stuff. So I think those are kind of the ones that have influenced my uh, stuff that, I, that I'm putting out currently. That's awesome. And you've mentioned a lot of, of, of preachers that have had an influence on you. Do you, are, are there any specific sermons? I know this is a very uh, detailed technical question and, and it tends <laughs> to get edited out of most episodes because no one ever really has an answer, but uh, are, are there any specific maybe sermons that you recall from someone that had an impact on you that, that we may be able to find if we search, you know, the podcast or internet deep enough? There was a, there's a podcast done by, um, I see, I uh, really like Lisa and Michael Gungor. They've become friends, and they're just, um, I think they're amazingly talented people. And them and uh, Mike McCurk did um, The Liturgist. Right. right. Yeah, so um, one of theirs that they did was on prayer, and that was really influential for me. I would really recommend, um, Rob Bell did this thing called Preacher, Pastor, Poet. Mm-hmm. Right. And he has this thing called Death by Paper Cuts, and it talks about how every little critique we hear can really kill us because it's death by paper cut. Yeah. And that was really, again, helpful for me to begin the process of letting go of some of the things or needing to be affirmed or liked or all of that. So that was, I think those are the ones I would say. Very cool. Well, gold star. You're the, you're the first guest with a really <laughs> prepared answer for that. <laughs> Not that our other guests have been slackers, you know, but uh, yeah, that's no, that's great. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me for episode eight of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me and send your feedback through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and you want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.